The content discussed in the Left Behind series and therefore this podcast includes emotional trauma, human suffering, extreme violence, gore, as well as hurtful caricatures and stereotypes of marginalized groups, and is in no way reflective of the host's personal views or beliefs. But we beeped out the cuss words in case you want to listen in front of your mom. Left Behind is a multimedia franchise that started with a series of 16 best-selling religious novels by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B.J. by Tim LaHaye and The future has come to pass. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of I Survived the Rapture. We're that podcast that slogs our way through the Left Behind novel series so you don't have to. I'm your lapsed evangelical Shane Bazell. And I'm your ecumenical fanboy Gavin Russell. We did it. We did it. We did it. We made it through book nine. We made it through desecration. It took us way longer than I would have expected, but between the holidays and technical issues and all kinds of other stuff, we're finally done. Oh, and still got... What, three more books to go at least? Three. At least? Yeah, at least. Ugh. Yeah, this is like, uh, well, like what, what more do you want for us for 45 minutes? Books suck. <laughs> it's really bad. So, as per usual on Off the Record, we have to go through this and kind of give our thoughts, just our little mini review of what we thought about the book. Did it have an impact, positive or negative? How you feel? There were a, a few neat moments but those neat moments were overshadowed just by what felt like th- this this mostly like felt like filler. This is another one of the filler books. I completely agree. And for a book that had to do so much of moving the plot forward, you had to get the refugees to Petra, you had to start that entire journey, you had to do multiple judgments. Mm-hmm. You had to do the entry into the temple. You had to do the pig thing, which was like a whole thing that they've been building up to for a couple of books now. It just fell so flat. Yeah, it was like we didn't just get a nothing burger. This was a nothing banquet. (laughs) It was a nothing Pizza Hut buffet. (laughs) And I regret reading all these books to get it. (laughs) And like like even like some of the big moments, like again, Hattie's death. Like I even forgot kind of like Hattie died in this book because it was so uneventful. Oh, I completely forgot until you just said it. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we haven't even thought about for weeks now that we're being like, oh, yeah, that happened. And it sucks. And I think I said this in one of the episodes, but I think that one of the things it suffers from is it starts trying to pull more of these side characters off the bench and give them something to do while benching some of the more main characters again. Like, obviously, you're going to get Buck moments, you're going to get Ray moments. But the Buck moments really aren't Buck moments. They are Hyam moments where Buck is just the POV. Yeah. And like, even though Ray is doing stuff, I've never particularly found the Ray stuff to be that interesting throughout this entire series. I think I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I don't like Ray. Yeah, like Ray's not that fun of a character. I mean, like his development's not interesting because it's him just either being like mad or sad. You get like one of those two modes or nothing. Yeah, nothing. So he's either mad, sad or just emotionally like he just becomes guy doing a job and like gritting his teeth and being like, I got to finish the mission. Like it's (laughs) there's nothing there. And 
to kind of raise up Hyam, you have to kind of downplay Zion in a lot of ways. Like, Zion's kind of stuck in a building doing basically nothing for the whole time. And he's just sending out emails. Yeah, sending out emails, which, like, he did for large periods of the book prior. But, like, he was doing other stuff. And, like, he, you know, he would have had, he had, like, interesting things going on around him. Like, there were stakes. Like, you know, like, when they're in the safe house, and I can't remember what book, and it was, like, gonna get invaded, like, he's trying to, like, get things all prepared before, like, he was doing things. Yeah, he was, and th- there was just nothing here, like, and it seemed like even in the moments of downtime, where you would like to see the characters interact and develop and have kind of a an off-the-clock rapport with each other, that didn't even really ring as anything, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, it's like... I don't have a vivid memory of anything they talked about when there wasn't combat going on. Yeah, and we can see that Jerry is pretty bad at writing this kind of combat stuff. Mm -hmm. There is a battle in the sky with angels and helicopters and bullets going everywhere, and it sucks. Yeah, it might as well not even have been there. Like, even, like, when we got to it, you're like, hey, like, um, uh, the angel bit's coming up, and I forgot it was coming up. (laughs) Yeah, dude, the earth opens up twice and eats tanks, and it still is boring. Jerry, what are you doing? I don't know if I want to blame it on his writing, where he just does the, and I haven't said this in a while, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. Mm -hmm. But that may be it. It just feels like I'm missing something when I'm trying to figure out why this isn't working. I guess, and again, we've said it before, it's a mixture of the writing. We're not in the intended local group where this would resonate maybe yeah, a bit we're harder. not the audience poor direction I, I guess as well like with like you know we talked about tim before um yeah the plotting and the pacing is bad because it has to be stretched over that framework of tim's notes mm-hmm. for prophecy because i'm not even going to say it has to be stretched over a biblical framework because there's very little in here that is actually biblical it's all the one guy's interpretation yeah and that kills the pacing that makes everything kind of like start and stop kind of like it'll do a really cool action scene and then it'll cut to basically nothing or something that just kind of feels unnecessary i guess is the word i'm looking for like the stuff with chloe finding that other church feels unnecessary yeah i'm not gonna say david feels unnecessary but it feels like they front-loaded a lot of david Mm -hmm. to then just kill him off yeah, this is going to be a weird criticism, but where the hell is Kenny? Dude, you read my mind. I was going to bring that point up. That was actually something I did write down. We didn't get a single Unka Zone yeah. in this book, and I think Wasted. that it might have negatively impacted my vibe yeah. <laughs> for this book. I, I need was like, the cute baby. Yeah, actually, the cute baby was working yeah. this time, Like, and I was like, where, where is it? Because like, I always thought the baby thing was really dumb, but now I have to like go back on that and be like, no, I was wrong. I'm... I feel the absence of this kid. Yeah. And like for for something that was a big deal to being like had the presence of an infant in the tribulation force create stakes, even if artificial, because if the kid dies, he just goes to heaven. But there's still stakes. Yeah. And it gives you something human to come back to. Yeah. You know, it gives you like, okay, this is what we're fighting for. Even if that's on a very like deep, you know, you didn't notice it, but your brain did kind of level. Um, You're like, oh, there's a kid in the mix. So obviously the danger matters more. And I missed that this time. It's just a book where a lot happens and it's all boring. Yeah. 
Uh, Leon straight up Emperor Palpatine's a character that we've known from the first book who's had this huge arc, this huge journey, and she gets ashed, and I felt nothing. Yeah, and, like, I guess it's because, like, again, Hattie just joined the Tribulation Force, at least in ideology, and we don't get to see her, like, do anything with that except die. Which is, like... Mad disrespectful to this character. Yeah. Because, like, I always appreciated her as a character. I really liked when she was around, whether she was on their side or whether she was on the bad guy side. Whichever side she was on, she was a presence that I liked in scenes. And she was a consistent source of content for us because we got to talk about how much they would bash her and how much she was sort of the poster child for all the things a woman shouldn't do. And, like, which made her more likable. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And now she's gone. Yeah, and the I will bash feel, to ash. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's that's your one. Yeah, <laughs> just get the one. No, but really, I, I I really am gonna miss her. But in the moment of her dying, I just didn't feel anything. Yeah, same here. Like she gets, I don't know how many pages it is, but like she gets this interaction with Michael the Archangel who himself is boring. Yeah. Like his presence means nothing. Like it's not, it's not like a cool cameo, you know, from like a character that, you know, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like in a Marvel movie. You're like, Oh, that guy's there. Um, it's not that it's not, and um, for, can't say Spider-Man spoilers, but it's not that it's just, Oh, that guy's here anyway. <laughs> and it shouldn't be like that. Cause this is one of the most important figures in biblical canon. Okay. Let's talk about that for a second, okay. because the angels obviously show up in the Bible many times. They are often named, but as often not named. Yeah. When you were growing up, how important was the idea of angels you know, kind actually, of in your in your spiritual like awareness of the world? Like, did you talk about angels a lot, like outside of like Sunday school stories and stuff? I would hear things like, you know, oh, I've got a guardian angel watching over me. I would hear people say all the time, like, oh, yeah, I like that's where like the protection from God comes from. But it was almost kind of ambiguous. Like most of the time it was, you know, God, JC or the Holy Spirit doing things. And these angels were kind of just in the background flying around. So, uh, yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't much of that. Yeah. I, I kind of had the same experience and it was, maybe it's an evangelical Christianity thing. Um, I know Catholics like do stuff with angels. Yeah. And that's something that I'm not terribly familiar with, but I know that, like you said, it's God himself being all powerful that is doing the protecting, that is doing the, the providing of inspiration that is doing the, um, you know, the sending of messages, the speaking to your heart, that is all directly from God, as opposed to in the Bible where he is often sending out angels as personal agents on earth, Mm -hmm. right? And I don't know if that comes out of the evangelical tradition of having a personal relationship with God Mm -hmm. and where it's almost like, no, 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 I'm with the band, like, no, I'm not going to talk to security. I'm, I'm going to go directly backstage. Yeah. You know, like, I'm going to go directly to God. I don't need intercession on behalf of angels. Um, just to, to kind of define terms here, intercession, meaning you have an intermediary between you and God, whether it's a priest or whether it's an angel or whether it's, you know, something like that. Someone who takes your prayers to God or your petitions to the throne of God to be heard. Evangelicals are way more about, like, no, 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 God's, God's my guy. Like, we, we go on walks, we talk about things directly, and he talks to me. It kind of cuts out the middleman a little bit. Yeah. Which is kind of, like, 
arrogant if you ask me like it looking back on it even though that's kind of how i was raised it seems very arrogant like yeah. no, no no the god in the universe oh no 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 no. the god of the universe is like my close personal friend there was a uh, a band called the lads that came to my church and they had the song my best friends the creator of the universe so yeah that tracks ah uh, yeah it really is super arrogant and like do you remember the era of jesus is my homeboy or did you miss that? I think I missed that. All right. So um, the best way I can describe it was it was kind of a Christian Che Guevara shirt. It was a very specific design, kind of 1960s sort of bubble letters a little bit. Like when you look back at like the flower power kind of font, um, if I remember right. And they were on a solid colored T-shirt. It was a black design and it just had a like an icon of Jesus. Um, and I think with the halo... Um, the way you would see it more traditionally in like Catholic iconography. Yeah. Um, and it said, Jesus is my homeboy. Okay. You could buy these things everywhere. Like they had them in journeys. What? Yeah. At least in the South they did like, and everybody had this shirt. It was Jesus is my homeboy. I mean, I guess that's a little, is that better than Jesus freak? I honestly don't know. Cause Jesus freak had like a connotation of like how you identified you know, right? guess, especially yeah. like in the 60s like when that term was in like common use like with like the jesus people movement and like everything coming out of california they're like oh they're jesus freaks mm -hmm. um which kind of meant you're a hippie but you are also a christian this was such a like i said like a che Guevara shirt like it had no meaning other than you were kind of signaling that you were at least down a little bit with like christianity right okay, yeah and it it just had real youth pastor energy about it. Yeah, like that it is, had youth pastor written all over it. That is quite the turn your uh, chair around backwards kind of <laughs> saying. You know, guys, we've had a lot of fun here today. But you know who the real homie is? <laughs> you know who you really got at that bub? I'm pointing up right now in this audio medium. <laughs> I hope you guys understand. Oh, man. Yeah, it, I think we're separated enough by age that like 2002 specifically would have been like ah you're probably not really in that at that point yeah right? yeah yeah i was five good night everybody <laughs> god man i forget sometimes but no i think that that's at the core of it that's why the angels feel like kind of a like a useless appendage yeah to the whole mythology of it all because there is such a focus on that personal relationship which is kind of missing out because when you get into I know that you have definitely had, and I don't think I, I have as much as you, but the realization that there is a lot of lore to angels and demons and like all of the cosmology of kind of a an Abrahamic worldview. Yes, and I say that, and I've said this for years, but I say as with as much respect as I can, and not in the edgy atheist way, but the Bible is one of my favorite fantasy books. <laughs> Like, dude, there's a lot of stuff going on in there. I'm not sure if you've, like, read or anything, but dang, some of these plot lines are dope. I mean, yeah, you've got, like, the sun standing still. You've got, like, the Red Sea. You've got plagues. You've got, you know, donkeys talking. You've got, you know, the languages getting confused, towers to heaven, all kinds yeah, of stuff. Yeah, dude, yeah, it's great. And, like, you know, they have different arcs. You know, it's like an anime. Like, yeah. you've got you know, the Babel arc and the Genesis arc and the... You get one arc told through, like, four different guys' POVs, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the Jesus Rashomon arc. <laughs> no, like, there's a lot of good stuff in there, especially, like, stories that can be retold and, and things like that. But when you go beyond the canonical Bible into a lot of these other works and a lot of things and kind of the stuff that's in between Christianity and the other Abrahamic faiths or some of the more mystical, esoteric sides... 
Um, you get into Gnosticism and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there that's really cool, but evangelicals don't tap that. Yeah. Like, they don't look at that as a vein for storytelling. It is always something that is kind of considered untouchable because it's not canonical. Yeah, and that's why uh, that's why I kind of, like, like one of the first things I started, like, asking questions about was, like, yo, like, why do, like, other denominations got all these books we don't, dude? Like, the Apocrypha and stuff. Like, oh, some totally. of the stuff in the Apocrypha is, like, really, really wild. Uh, and, I, and some of the stuff, I'm like, all right, I can see why evangelicals, um, uh, don't follow this because you know jesus says yes i will give a beard to a baby and i will amaze all and then telling peter that women are not or no peter says women are not deserving of life and then jesus is like hey hold up we'll make them all men and then they'll they will deserve Wait, life what are you is that in there it's like in the gospel of thomas i think okay got it all right did you say give a beer yeah give a, a beard to a baby and amaze all like facial hair He'll give beard to a baby. That's a, that's really important. Babies did don't he, beards. Did he do it or did he say he could do it? I think it? he said he could do it. You're blowing my mind right now, dude. I'll, I'll show. Yeah, I'll show you this sometime. Yeah, I'm gonna need to like. I'm gonna need a YouTube video essay on like the top ten. I need to watch Mojo on the top ten apocrypha stories, please. This is amazing. <laughs> There's also a time where uh, Jesus command like a kid made f- or, uh, fun of kid Jesus. So kid Jesus commanded the kid to run himself to death and then brought him back to life. Oh. okay. Okay, That's so I, I know a little bit of this because um, – so you know who Anne Rice is, right? Yes. Just, just the the vampire author. She just passed away recently. Yeah. Um, so she stopped writing vampire books in like the early 2000s. Okay. And she started writing books about kid Jesus because she was Catholic. Like she grew up Catholic, and she um, was even like like pushed along by some Christian publishing houses. I think Focus on the Family was one of them. Um, and so they were like, oh, no, 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 she's come back into the fold. She's a Christian now. She's writing Jesus books. We got we got a New York Times bestselling author who's, like, got movies made of her work. Forget all that vampire stuff, especially the gay stuff. Uh, we don't do that no more. I saw an Anne Rice book today, and you're blowing my mind. I know. <laughs> yeah, I think it was called, like, Christ the Lord was the series or something. It was It was something like that. And it was about, like, it was Jesus Smallville. You know, it was it was Jesus before he went to the big city, but he still had his powers. Can we read this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like opposed to it. Um, I don't know if it's any good, but it's very specifically about kid Jesus prior to the beginning of his ministry. And I think she embellishes obviously more than like a Jerry and Tim mm-hmm. scenario. Not to say Jerry and Tim don't embellish. It just it's Tim doesn't think he's embellishing. Right. Like he doesn't think he's taking creative license. Um, but I mean, I think she definitely does. And, and I feel uh, like a Catholic framework, if you're writing speculative fiction like this, would be a little bit more interesting. Yeah, and I think that with Catholicism being older, um, there's a little bit more room to kind of play around. Um, like if you think about it, like, and I'm gonna sound so incredibly evangelical slash protestant right now if you look at like the saints like if you're collecting their little baseball cards and you're looking at the flavor text on those Mm -hmm. like every one of those people has a story yeah you know so there is so much that you could do with an individual saint and the life that they have lived and things like that i think that there is much more fertile ground for telling a christian story there because when I was growing up, we had a, uh, you know, the Children's Book of Virtues and stuff like that. Did you ever read those? No, I didn't. Did you ever watch the show on uh, PBS? Uh, I, I may have. It's Hang not- on. I got to Google who wrote this. This is, this is core memory unlocked. Hang on a second. 
Um, so the Book of Virtues, a treasury of great moral stories, sometimes shortened as the Book of Virtues, um, it's an anthology series edited by William Bennett. It was published on November 1st, 1993. Okay. Um, so rather than being explicitly Christian, it's a set of stories that are supposed to teach like courage and selflessness and honesty and like all these like character qualities that you would want to instill in your kids. Yeah. And it has these stories that are like classics that mostly everybody has heard. You know, you have like the uh, the honest woodcutter, you know, you know, that one with the the gold axe and the silver axe and yep. all that. Theseus and the Minotaur. You've got um, Daniel in the lion's den is one of them. Um, and you have like the story of St. Christopher is one of them. So it's pulling things from like Western canon, largely Western canon. It's there's some Native American stories in there. I think there are some Chinese stories in there. Um they, as they moved into making more children's media, I think that they expanded the cultural origins of a lot of the stories. But it's meant to teach kids, like, hey, here's how you are a good person, and here's some stories to go along with that, yeah, right? Yeah. And some of them were even historical um, or pseudo-historical, because, of course, you're going to get, like, Washington chopping down the cherry tree and stuff, which is apocryphal. But, you know, there's also a story about the Wright brothers, about, like, perseverance and stuff. Like, hey, they— Crashed all these planes before they actually got one to work, you know? And there was a PBS show that was like a bunch of talking animals. So there's this buffalo who was kind of the ringleader. He was voiced by uh, Kevin Michael Richardson. You know Kevin Michael Richardson? Uh, you know the captain yes. guy from um, Lilo and Stitch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him. Yeah, that was him. Um, and he's like been in like, he was like Mortal Kombat. He's in Invincible. He's in Young Justice. Like, he had a real deep voice. Yeah. Um, and so he was the main guy, but, like, Jim Cummings was in it. Like, you know, the voice of Tigger, and, like, he's in, like, Scooby-Doo and other stuff, and, like, Frank Welker was in it. Um, so all these, like, famous voice actors that are, like, in everything. I remember specifically getting some more Catholic stories in that. Like I said, the story of St. Christopher is one of them. They're just more interesting. Yeah. And so getting into this, looking at the evangelical side of things and being like, there's got to be better ways to tell these stories, you know, than just like, and then the earth opened up and swallowed them or, and then he wrote a pig in there and then he killed it. And then, or the lady stood in the road and then they burned her to death. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe that was like another way. And I may have said this, but another way you could have written uh, this series would almost be kind of like an anthology series. Like if you want to like take the POV of like a lot of different characters, like really commit to that, tell the, the story uh, of them to like, uh, kind of like a world war Z kind of thing. I was just about to say you want a world war Z kind yeah. of thing to sort of shift gears just a little bit. How do you feel about the Christian Zionism side of things? Uh, it's starting to get really intense in this book specifically, like, you know, just the, uh, the, the whole thing of like, Hey, you know, all of these Christians are, are coming to save uh, the Jews from being destroyed by the evil Satan on Earth uh, guy. It's, I don't know, there's something about that that's uh, kind of, I don't know, it's, it's pointing at a lot of cultural trends right now that I don't like. It feels like appropriation. Yes. that And I am never one to, like, dive headfirst into... If you are telling any other story with cultural influences, it's automatically appropriative. Mm -hmm. This feels very much like, nope, um, we're going to take the Exodus, which is, you know, really big story. And we're going to go ahead and say, not one. We're doing it again, but it's ours now. Yeah. And like, <laughs> like, we'll let the Jews be in it. But like, no, no, no. We're the main characters now. <laughs> and if it wasn't for us, good Christians. Oh, man, in our story that we wrote about how cool we are, <laughs> like, 
oh, it sucks. Like yeah. I it and it hit me while I was in the shower uh, this morning and I was thinking about today's episode and I was like, no, it really is cultural appropriation. And it feels like disrespectful in a way. Yeah. Because it's it's the thing that I've said on prior episodes about evangelicals really wanting to cosplay Old Testament Jewish people, and it takes it to, like, 11. And, like, I don't think it's done. Like, I think we're in for more of it in the next book. I will be surprised if we're not. I mean, yeah, it's called The Remnant. It's so. called Yeah, it's called The Remnant. And, it, it like, I think the facade of the Petra treasury is, like— on the cover, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. Um, so I, we're going to get a lot of Petra action, the action of the story going on in Petra. I don't think this is going to slow down. Yeah, I don't I don't think so either. In anything, I feel like it will probably get, I don't want to say exponentially worse, but I think it has the potential to get exponentially worse. There's something about it, and especially that like you did have a Jewish character, at least at least a culturally Jewish character who, you know, had converted to Christianity, who wasn't like a supernatural prophet, you know. Um, he wasn't one of like the new witnesses. He was a boots on the ground guy. We'd had him for several books. Like he had an arc, you know, arguably the best romance plot in the books. Mm-hmm. His perspective would have been valuable on something like this, and you just killed him off. Yeah. And like there's there's a lot of like just lazy, like axing characters too especially like and i and i know like that's always a thing when you kill a character you end the rest of their potential for arcs yeah that's like with any medium but like the way that these books do it it's like they they just don't care i guess i think character death for jerry is a lot more about like shock value and i know that that's a kind of a cheap shot mm-hmm. um because i think that authors do take that kind of stuff into account I think it's a cheap shot normally to say, oh, you're just doing that for shock value. It's the authorial equivalent of saying you're just doing it for attention. Yeah. You know, whereas you look at somebody like, of course, we're going to bring up the man uh, because he's got a video game coming out in like two days. Um, But George R.R. Martin. okay, maybe that guy does it for shock value or maybe not. I, I think Martin really had a specific idea in mind where like don't get attached to any of these characters was the foundation. Mm-hmm. of his storytelling versus these guys that I think didn't earn all of these character deaths. And when we're talking about the, so much of the action has already taken place in Israel, but now there is this massive spotlight and having a character who could be like, Oh no, no, this is, these are my people. And being able to like speak on that would have been valuable. You know, if maybe Jerry had done some research or actually like talked to someone about it, you know, and uh, more than he talked to his it guy. <laughs> I don't know. I am. Am I making sense here? I mean, okay. So in other books, when a character dies, it um it hits well. I think better because these characters have been explored, maybe not to their fullest potential, but in other books, uh, characters have been explored to the degree where you get to, you you know who the character is, and it's actually sad when they die. A lot of these deaths, I don't really. I haven't formed an attachment to these characters, not because of the George R. R. Martin thing of like, hey, don't get attached. But with a lot of them, you haven't given me a reason to want to be sad they're gone because a lot of them, I forget they're dead next chapter. Right, for sure. And like for me, David's not one of them. Like I actually liked him. And maybe I'm just off that David's dead. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe I haven't come to terms with the fact that I miss David. Because I remember you saying on some previous episodes, like, are we going to get like a King David arc or something? Is he going to have some sort of cool... biblical parallel to like fulfill no they just killed him yeah like just wasted potential i don't know man like it there's so much about this book that 
to make a biblical illusion, the scales fell from my eyes, <laughs> and I could see how many plot threads from prior books and little MacGuffins and little plot conveniences and stuff like that have just never been addressed again. Yeah. And just don't matter. Like, the bug on the 216 is never going to be found because it can't be. Mm-hmm. You're never going to be able to cut that off, and it's you're never going to be able to, like, cash in the stakes of what if they find that. Like, there have been so many pilots on that plane that are not aligned with the Tribulation Force since the end of the mark. Mac is gone. Abdullah's gone. Like, they're, they're not part of it anymore. That thing is just sitting there. They have not addressed it once. They're just like, oh, still working. Still working and hidden somewhere where no one can ever find it. And you can always hear it perfectly. And there's never a misunderstanding. Like, there's never a worry that it's going to be gone. Leon's position and the morale monitors and everything just barely get to actually do something yeah. in this. And I'll go back to last episode. The girl, like the morale monitor, like double agent. That was great. That was cool. Do more of that, but I don't know that they're going to because now all of the action is like everybody's stuck in Petra, mostly. Obviously, you know, Chloe being an exception, but like so many of the characters have moved to Petra now. Like, how are you going to get infiltrators? How are you going to get like, you know, stuff? And you can clearly see that when there is a threat to Petra, and I'm not, I'm, I'm really bordering on spoilers here, when there is a threat to Petra now and in future books for a specific amount of time, God just like, nah, (laughs) and just hand waves it away, like does a like highlight delete of whatever that specific threat is. And then it just doesn't matter. Yeah. And like, I know, I know, like, again, that's like a major theme of the book that no matter what struggle uh, you're undergoing, God can fix it. But it's like, it's like very, it's, it's uh, inconsistent of when it wants to use as a plot device. And I guess, you know, then you're getting to the whole like issue of like, okay. Is God inconsistent? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because, and I think that the God of the Bible often is inconsistent because he is interpreted and written by men. Yeah. Like I got into an argument because like I did the thing you're not supposed to do. And I are, and I, I argued with people on the, uh, that Christian debate page. Oh man. I thought you were like, yeah, I brought up politics at a family dinner, <laughs> religion no. at a family dinner. And I pretty much just was like, Hey, like, cause like there was this thread about like women being priests. I'm like, yeah, the, this book that was written by all men is, is barring uh, women from being uh, priests. Oh, I just realized sus. that I there, I just realized that I said men. I meant humans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yes, in that sense that, uh, yeah, it was all written by written by men specifically. It was like, don't let the ladies be priests. <laughs> that is a thread on this uh, on this debate page that's like once a day and it gets so much engagement because all these men are like, I don't want these women's in here. <laughs> and, and like I, the most coherent example of like, oh, it's because Christ was a man, and there's like this like persona Christe thing going through. All now is men. this cat? Is this largely Catholics? There, it's like a mixed bag. It's okay. like Catholics. You got Pentecostals. You got what do they have to talk about together? I don't know. It's like you you just throw all the Christians in a room together and be like, all right, debate, cowards. That's wild. Yeah, I actually had a um, a guy in high school that I chatted theology with very frequently who was a Catholic, um, and he specifically turned me on to some of the apocryphal stories. Um, he was like, oh, you've never read Maccabees. Yeah. So that's the reason, it, this guy is the reason why I actually ended up reading Maccabees uh, in high school, so that's one of the only apocryphal stories that I know. When I, when I was hanging around some Methodists a year or two ago, I think this was about two years ago now, 
I, we would do some, like, after the guy that was the priest of the Methodist church, I think he either quit or got fired. We just started doing, like, basement stuff. Huh. And, like, we started just, rec- uh, like, that's, wh- like, how we reviewed the Gospel of Thomas. Is my friend printed off, like, three translations, and we went through it and just, it was really fun. That's crazy. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, it was really fun. I, it is worth noting that this conversation about Maccabees in all of the media that I consumed about it, trying to learn this story, uh, never once mentioned Hanukkah. Really? Because they were all written by Christians. Oh my there God. was not like an a, and this is why Hanukkah is a thing. It was like, nah, just like, cool story, right? God rules. <laughs> God rules and so do swords. <laughs> I think we learned about, like, no, it wasn't we learned about Maccabees in elementary school. They just told us about Hanukkah in, in elementary school. That was fun. Oh, I went to a Christian private school. We didn't we didn't learn about other religions yeah. at all. Well, we're in the evil public school, so they taught. They, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah so they taught us worldly, world-corrupted. You believe that other faiths exist? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Gavin, that's going to that's gonna send you down a worldly path, son. It's okay. You, this just before you know it, you're, you're doing blow and playing Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> Halfway there. <laughs> oh, you're only. But which half? We'll never tell. <laughs> they can probably guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, man, I, we gotta talk about Nikolai. Like, I've done, I've beaten this one into the dirt. But like, yeah. he sucks. Yeah. His he sucks. Leon sucks. Viv sucks. The the whole entourage just sucks. He's not intimidating. Like the Walter Moon, like murder and the execution thing and like you know you have this many bullets in the clip and you shoot them in the hands and then in the feet and like it's written by it sounds like it's written by a kid yeah like when you're like oh and then he shot him in one hand and then in the other hand and then in the feet so he could not walk and then in the kneecaps and then in the groin and then he shot him finally in the heart it's such a weird and i'm gonna say this it's it sounds crazy but like you had to sort of be there in the late nineties and the early two thousands. That's the kind of stuff that like Fox news would tell you Saddam was doing. Oh my God. Yeah. And like, and like, I don't, and and of course I'm not saying that it didn't happen because dictators do crazy shit all the time, but like, that's what would get spread around on the playground, especially like 2003 and onward. And I bet you're wondering right now, like you were talking about like operation Iraqi freedom on the playground Yes, you kind of had to be there. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense because, like, that was, like, the big political thing at the time. Like, I, I would I would assume, like, 9-11 reverberated so hard that even the kids are talking about it on the playground. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, And with an understanding of, like, you know, death and violence and, like, and, you know, war and everything. And so that was that was a topic of conversation. And so looking at him now... It's like they are trying to paint him as like a a Saddam or a Gaddafi or like somebody like that, like a a dictator that is reveling in violence and execution kind of showmanship. But they don't sell it yeah, because they've put themselves in this dumb position of like, we cannot make this cool or interesting because that is kind of giving credit to the enemy. Um, And I've said that before. I just it, it breaks my heart every time he has to do anything. And we're now at Chekhov's nukes. We made it, and it sucks. Yeah. Like, it's just him and, like, the other parts of, like, you know, the, the triad yeah, sitting around. We'll, we'll get them all into one location. And, and we'll let's go! Like, it, just, it sucks. Like, I'm so just, again, utterly heartbroken for what could have been. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy could have been your Randall Flagg or your, you know, your Crimson King or whatever. But he's just... 
Yeah. <laughs> like the global community as an engine of world domination is more threatening than the dictator. Yeah. And I just don't think that, that works in this kind of a story where he's supposed to be the final boss. Yeah, he's the he's the Ganon, but he he just feels like a regular enemy. Yeah, you're right. Like he feels like he got nerfed and nothing about him is interesting anymore. Like I was wanting to know more about like that weird dynamic with Viv and the sitting on the throne thing and what she's been up to. You know, uh, we do have one thing to look forward to in the prequels. He will be old school Nikolai again. That's true. I mean, and me, I mean, that's kind of even his little Anne Rice, like young Nikolai stuff. Yeah. So I, I doubt that it's going to be any good. Um, because are any of these books good? <laughs> well, Assassin's pretty good. I feel like we've we've gotten like so exposed to Left Behind that the threshold of what makes a decent Left Behind book has been put so low that I think the prequels might do it. Yeah, I don't think I've read a lot of fiction since we started this podcast because I've just been so like this is what I'm reading. Everything else I'm sticking to nonfiction. Um, I'm I might have like picked up some old Dresden files and read that a little bit over 2021, but there's like a new Dresden files. I still haven't touched yet. Um, and then there's, I think that's about it. I, oh, Witcher, Witcher. I reread yeah, Witcher. I've read like a, a bunch of different stuff. So I at least have like palate cleansers. Yeah. I know you're, you're going to the well of like pulling some good stuff. Um, read some comics, but yeah, yeah I think same here. other than that, like, yeah, I've been real into left behind except for nonfiction books that I've been buying and reading. So I think you're right. <laughs> By the time that we get our hands on something that's like not this, that it'll probably feel better. Yeah. At least I hope so. I think the Viv thing is so dumb. Like, it really feels like there's so much that you were missing because we're not reading the prequels. Um, It's not going to make me want to, like, pick them up in the middle of this because we're so close to the end. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's what most people did. Um, But it feels like you shoehorned this prequel character in and she just doesn't do anything. She just sort of like looms around like Dracula, you know, like Morticia Adams, just sort of like gliding into the room and be like, hey, <laughs> you know, and, and no, Nikolai, no, no shade on you. Were a baby. I, that was very disrespectful to Morticia Adams. <laughs> I'm going to get hate for that. Um, but you guys know what I mean? Like Kmart, Morticia Adams, just like lounging, like cutting the heads off roses and everybody will kind of look over at her every once in a while. And like, she'll just kind of stare back at them and like, grin and they're like what is she doing here <laughs> like we, but she has nothing to do and again i think that goes back to uh, jerry can't write women <laughs> yeah the only woman that he's consistently kept on screen is uh one who just sounds just like the character that is also her dad <laughs> oh man this book sucks it does do you want to go ahead and like rate this you got any more things to talk about i don't know man do you Honestly, I'm kind of drawing up blanks. I think it is an indicator on whether the book is good or not about whether or not we go off on a bunch of tangents about other stuff. We got to late 90s PBS shows on this one. Uh, if that's see. any indicator. Other update is that when I went to like I told y'all I think a few off the records ago that like I dabbled in Quakerism for a second. One of the Quakers emailed me and just made sure I didn't die of COVID. That was pretty wholesome. They can have email? Yeah. Quakers can have like uh, maybe I'm thinking they're of, like, not Amish. I was thinking of like Mennonites or something. Maybe. No, the the Quaker, yeah, like this this uh, this Quaker lady. She's just like, hey, I know, like last time um, um you were here, COVID was like in full swing. Um, you doing okay? Did you did, you're not dead, are you? We're worried, and I'm like, no, I'm good. Uh, th thank you for checking in on me. Wow, man, I I think my brain thought 
because of the guy on the oatmeal that that was how they all dressed. <laughs> I'm sorry if we have any Quakers that are listening. I, I'm sure you're very nice people. I, I, no, no, Quaker from from what the one Quaker group I like. These are like the nicest Christians I've ever met. For real, I have the coolest whoops. ceremonies. Like I like it. Oh, you're seeing my biases now. I just assume that they are all from the oatmeal. <laughs> that they're they're they got all powdered like, wigs and they're, whatnot. They're all straight out of 1700s Rhode Island. Oh yeah, they all got buckles on their shoes and stuff, which would be kind of dope though. Yeah, that would be. Like if you go to a party and there's a dude dressed like that, I'd be like, I'm gonna talk to that Alexander Hamilton looking. <laughs> Alright, <laughs> I think, yeah, I we think we're about it. Rating. What's our rating system again? Horses. Uh, yeah, four, uh, four, uh, one to four horsemen. Are, wait, just for clarification, are we allowed to go below one or is one the cutoff? Are we allowed to give If a I a tell you seat? the answer to that question, then it's going to spoil my score. Okay. <laughs> Alright. The, the answer is yes, so I'm going to let you go first. Alright, um. I think I rated Tribulation Force a one, didn't I? I think we both did. Yeah, so I'm gonna do. I'm like not gonna break the mold, and I'll just be like, it's a one. Books suck. We are in Tribulation Force territory. So what? What's your what's your takeaway? Like, if you had to sum it up for like the worst part about the book for you? Uh, the worst part. Um, the 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 Hattie death. Like the Hattie death. Like it, like everything else was bad, but yeah. You do you do my girl Hattie bad like that, and I can't give you a bubble one. I'm sorry. I feel you. My summation of the book, and I just thought of it while I was sitting here, uh, this book is an Icarus. I think when a book doesn't try too hard, that it can't fail as hard, and I think that we've had a few of those. I think The Mark was one of those. Mm-hmm. I think Indwelling, for most of it, was one of those. I think Nikolai was one of those. Soul Harvest was one of those. Apollyon's the opposite. I think that it tried to do crazy stuff and it succeeded. Um, Same with Assassins. Like it tried to get kind of nuts and succeeded. This book really did swing for like big moments, like splash pages, you know, like crazy stuff happening, like all at once throughout the book. There is moment after moment after moment of like paradigm shifts in this book. And still I felt nothing. So here we are. And I'm afraid that if flew so close to the sun that it had way further to fall. So I am going to give this book a 0.5 horses out of four. Cutting the horse in half. I cut the, like King Solomon, I'm cutting the horse in half. (laughs) Oh man, I hate this book so much and I can only pray that it gets better from here. Like I, I really do want to believe the only place we have to go from here is up, but we're going to see. (laughs) So, with that, it would not be an off the record if we did not read the forthcoming book's plot summary. So I would like to take a moment to read the plot summary from book 10, The Remnant. The earth, now a wasted shell of its former beauty, staggers under the weight of worsening judgments from heaven, while Carpathia turns up the heat on Christ followers Jews, Muslims, and anyone else who does not swear total allegiance to him. All pretenses gone, even on the part of the Antichrist, as the planet hurdles toward Armageddon and the ultimate showdown between good and evil. We just got our first mention of Muslims. Oh, no. (laughs) Literally, like, they just lined up the three Abrahamic religions. I didn't think we were going to see that. Well, let's, that's not a bad thing. Like, let's wow. go. <laughs> we'll go 
next episode. Okay. Well, thank you guys for joining us on yet another Off the Record. Um, I am so glad to be putting this one to bed. Good. <laughs> Throw it in the trash. Throw it in the trash. Well, as always, I'm Shane Bazell. And I'm Gavin Russell. And until next time... Don't write desecration. <laughs> Bye! Okay, that's our show. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Rapture Podcast. I Survived the Rapture is part of the IndieSource Podcast Network. For more great shows and to join the conversation, please visit IndieSource.com and check out the IndieSource Discord. We'll see you there, and thanks for listening. With power, he can tempt you and leave.